0: When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here today on this feast of Eric Little. A reading from the book of Genesis. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian brought him of the, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, And he made him an overseer of his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer of his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in his house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he eat. And Joseph was a goodly person, and well-favored. And it came to pass, after these things, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused. And she said unto his master's wife, And he said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything for me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And she left his garment in her hand, and fled, and got him out. And it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house, and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant do to me that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, and showed him mercy, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Joseph, it says, the Lord was with him, um, even there in Potiphar's house, far from his home uh, and far from the kind of uh, rules that he had lived by as a young person. Um, Certainly, uh, in the, the ethics of the way we conduct ourselves, uh, we get that from our parents. You know, our parents kind of tell us what's right and wrong, what you should and shouldn't do. Some of that is spoken. Some of that is just watched. We watch our parents. Um, but in the, in the aftermath of trauma, which is what Joseph has experienced here, the near murder uh, by his brothers, sold into slavery, which is a death sentence, to be worked to death um, in a foreign land, where he has no rights, no anything, no family, no one to take care of him, no one to vouch for him, no one to advocate for him. There are no legal protections for enslaved people in Egypt. Um, And in the aftermath of trauma, it's easy to say, you know, all that stuff that I lived by before doesn't matter anymore. And I don't have to abide by the rules that I grew up with anymore. And yet, Joseph knows that this uh, would be wrong. And here he um, is in this nearly impossible situation. He's been put in charge of this entire estate. I mean, it's probably what we would call a multinational corporation working for Potiphar. Um, He is uh, one of the top leaders in Egypt. The ancient world didn't really have companies. Um, They had men, you know, a patriarchal system where one guy generally speaking, was, and his house was in charge. And the business was conducted in the house. There really weren't uh, businesses like shop, there were shops and things like that. But in the ancient world, there weren't really separate entities called companies that you went to work at. You worked from home, especially if you were a king or a high official, like your house was the administrative center of everything. And, And more than likely this guy had farms and all kinds of other things. So it's a huge company that he's been put in charge of. And all Potiphar has to do is eat the bread that comes to his table. He, he, you know, really what we've always hoped from robots and AI is that they would work for us so we could just kind of chill out and do art and sing songs and have a good time. Um, And this is what Joseph and these enslaved people are doing for these Egyptians. They are giving them a life of complete luxury and indolence Um, and really doing nothing productive. And so in this lack of responsibility, in this uh, freedom that at the cost of other people's enslavement, some really wicked things happen in those kind of situations. Uh, And this is the thing that happens to Joseph. He's in this impossible situation. Given all this responsibility, uh, his boss's master's wife, has uh, sexual desire for him, and there's not a lot he can do about that. Um, here we see the power dynamics of sexual exploitation and sexual harassment, sexual assault. Um, there's always a power dynamic to it that is asymmetrical. It's not, it's not among, among equals. It is a coercive kind of thing. And while men uh, in the Bible and in real life are the main perpetrators of this. Women are also um, engaging in this activity as well. And here in this story, it's easy to sort of make all women look bad out of this story. And lots of preachers and teachers have done that over the years. Like every woman's kind of doing this to you or something (laughs) if you're a young guy. But that's not the truth. Um, This was the specific circumstances of Joseph's life that he had to deal with. And it, it, um, there's really no way out of this. He's trapped. And she traps him into this accusation of rape and sexual assault. And, and so he's thrown in prison. The fact that he's not executed may indicate that Potiphar kind of knows what's going on and he has to save face. Um, nevertheless, he's in a dungeon uh, or prison. Potiphar is the keeper of the prison. We know that from another part of the story. So it's almost like he goes to the basement of Potiphar's house there, wherever that, that prison is. Prisons in the ancient world, um, there were two kinds of prison. One was enslavement, you know, where people were sent to the mines or to do really awful work until they died. Um, and there really weren't prisons except for really important people. Really important people were sometimes kept in prisons as we'll see that Joseph is kept. So God is still with him in the prison, and he gets becomes in charge of the prison. He rises to fame there as well, um, in spite of this huge setback in his life. And so what do we do when uh, circumstances have conspired against us? Uh, what do we do when it seems like everything that we've tried comes down to the same setback and place well we do what Joseph does he does what he can in the four walls of his freedom Uh, that was a quote from I think Thomas Merton or some other mystic who said you know all of us are confined by a lot of things the most obvious example of people that are confined are people in prisons in that awful situation of confinement and yet um, we are all confined by a number of factors in our lives and what our lives consist of what we do inside those constraints. Um, And they change throughout our lives, Uh, the constraints that we can do and things we can't do. Um, And yet life is lived in those uh, four walls of our freedom. Uh, One of the greatest books I've ever read is by Dave Carey, a resident of Georgetown and former parishioner of mine at uh, Grace Episcopal Church. He was uh, five and a half years in a Vietnamese uh, prison, or North Vietnamese prison in Hanoi and one other place. Five and a half years in a a prisoner of war camp, um, really prison block, uh, where he didn't know if he was gonna live or die every day, whether the Allied or the American bombs would get him or um, if he would be killed, Uh, he didn't know. And he built a life inside there with his fellow uh, prisoners. Um, they built a life together that um, he describes and, uh, as having some really great moments. And how could that be? How could people in times of great hardship have joy and happiness? And, and we know this from the testimony of people that have been imprisoned, especially those imprisoned unjustly um, for what they believe in. There is a kind of freedom that no prison um, can, can uh, take away from a person like Joseph. And so um, the call to all of us today is, um, what are we doing in, within our limits, within the limits of our lives? Um, once you kind of acknowledge them and recognize them and say, I'm going to do my best, uh, even given these constraints, um, that's where real freedom comes from. And Joseph teaches us that. Amen. Today is the feast of Eric Little um, on the, one of the calendars of the Episcopal Church. Uh, it's my fa- one of my favorite saints uh, in our calendar, although he was not an Anglican or an Episcopalian. Um, he's a Christian, an um, uh, example of God's love. He was uh, born in China to a family of uh, English or Scottish missionaries that worked in schools in China. So he grew up there, um, fluent in all the languages of Northern China, I believe that's where he was, Northern China. Uh, and then uh, went for school in Scotland where his running prowess uh, was recognized immediately as a great runner. He um, he won numerous collegiate competitions and was chosen to be on the Olympic team uh, for the Paris Olympics. He uh, went to the Paris Olympics and found out that the the main race that he was going to enter, the 100 meter, uh, was going to be on a Sunday. And Eric Little was from a Scottish Presbyterian family, although I believe the actual church that his parents were part of were a another non-pres, non-Presbyterian church that had a lot of Presbyterian teaching in it. Presbyterians, um, even today, generally, do recognize Sunday as the Sabbath and do not believe that anyone should engage in any kind of work or even play in the way or competition like a like a race. Um, Episcopalians, we don't really believe that. Um, we have dif- a different theology of Sabbath, I think, than, than Scottish Presbyterians from the 1900s. So, you know, I ran on the marathon on Sunday and felt a little guilty about that. Missing church won. Um, We did have a a liturgy in the afternoon, home blessing that I counted as my church for the day. But I I had some questions about that myself, um, running these marathons that are only on Sunday. But again, Eric Little decided that the one chance of his life to win a gold medal wasn't worth it at the Olympics. Um, So he chose a different event the 400-meter, and he won it and won a gold medal. It was on Saturday, and he won the gold medal. He didn't run the 100-meter, which he probably would have won too. He had a really strange running style. His mouth would be wide open. He'd be, his arms would like flail strangely, and his head would be back while he ran. Uh, so a lot of people made fun of him for that. But he kept winning. Doesn't matter how you look as long as you win. Um, and the funny thing today is that Eric Little, from historians that have studied his life said, uh, would not have liked the Olympics today. Um, he, he won an amazing amount of money um, in his own day, like many Olympians winners do, um, huge amount of money. But he really criticized the nationalism at the Olympics. He didn't think different countries should compete against each other. He felt like it was just should be runners and individuals rather than the kind of like militaristic, kind of our country's better than your country. And he grew up in China. He um, went to Scotland, he ran in Paris, you know. He, he didn't really see himself as like just belonging to one country because um, he belonged to the kingdom of God. He knew that the kingdom of God was much bigger than the countries that we call our home. So he probably wouldn't have liked the Olympics today, but he, he won the gold medal, won another medal in another event, and could have kind of taken that to another level of fame and fortune. He um, was certainly a celebrity in his own day um, in that Olympics. His his record wasn't beat until the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. We all know about that Olympics with Hitler being present and whatnot. Jesse, is it Jesse Owens that wins the, one of the races there against the Aryan German athletes. It's a great moment in sports, but um, Eric Little kept that goal, uh, that record for many many years, and um, but instead of sort of like transitioning that into fame and fortune, he went back to China to teach at a little school there in rural China, um, and that's and they said you know he said yeah it's great to be a good runner but there's actually a bigger calling in life and that's to do what God wants me to do, and God wants me to go back to China, so he went back to China. He married a woman who grew up in a similar missionary family to China um, there, and had three children with her, three daughters. Um, When his wife was pregnant with their third daughter, the Imperial Japanese Army invaded China and took over the country. All the British citizens were rounded up and put in internment camps. His wife um, and two daughters, and, and she was pregnant at the time, uh, escaped to Canada before the army got there. And he stayed and actually went to a much more difficult medical mission in rural China with his brother, who was a medical doctor, and they exhausted themselves taking care of these patients. He had a nervous breakdown. Um, his brother did as well during that time. Nerv- nervous breakdowns in, the, in that time period were what we would call a, a mental health crisis um, the inability to function, what we would put someone, you know, take someone to a hospital for today for um, anxiety, panic attacks, those kinds of things. Um, they used to call them nervous breakdowns. Um, but that's what really happened to him and his brother. But he eventually was forced to go to the internment camp. and in the internment camp, they had a little bit of freedom. There were some very wealthy British people at this internment camp who were able to obtain, like food in the way that other people weren't and Eric Little would get up and shame them until they would share their food with everybody. Um, But everybody in the camp suffered disease, um, malnutrition, um, and a number of other factors. During this time, he also had developed a brain tumor that they had diagnosed. So he was having symptoms from the brain tumor, from malnutrition, um, but in in spite of that, he was known as Uncle Eric, and he organized activities for all the kids. He was always leading the grown ups and kids in activities to keep their minds off of what they were dealing with. He, he organized a school for the kids and even the grown ups um, in this internment camp that, um, where he was a prisoner and couldn't leave. Um, he was visited by, um, by a, a person, that, another missionary that knew him. Um, in the camp, and and she said that he had really, you know, was wasting away, as everyone was in that camp. Um, About seven months before the camp was liberated, he died um, from health complications of malnutrition and possibly this brain tumor that um, had been affecting him for a while. And so he died a martyr's death um, there in prison. Um, a, A witness to his work as a missionary there in China and uh, for his um, commitment to Jesus. That's why he went there. Um, that's why he turned down more glory and fame. And, that's why he, um, and that is why he, he gave his life there in that place. So we remember him today. They made a movie about him called Chariots of Fire. And the actor there mimics his running style pretty well in um, Chariots of Fire, and uh, that's kind of how we know of him today. His wife died in 1984, so a lot of, uh, she was able to give a lot of historical details of his life. Um, his his youngest daughter that never met him um, was interviewed, I forget the, was interviewed just a couple of years ago um, at the age of 73. Um, uh, about his life so his life and legacy continued long after his death and still today and um, he's remembered around the world in 2023 his university, University of Edinburgh um, dedicated a new elite running center uh, named it after him 2023, that was last year and um, there's numerous other monuments but he's buried in China um, and Technically, he is China's first Olympic athlete. China claims him as their first Olympic athlete, even though he ran for Great Britain in that. God, whose strength bears us up as on mighty wings, we rejoice in remembering your athlete and missionary, Eric Little, to whom you gave courage and resolution in contest and in captivity. And we pray that we may also run with endurance the race set before us, and persevere in patient witness until we wear the crown of victory won for us by Jesus our Savior, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen.